Welcome to Voices of E-Learning, reflecting the people living and breathing the future of education and online learning with your host, J.W. Marshall. Hello and welcome everyone to today's episode of Voices of E-Learning. I'm your host, J.W. Marshall from MarketScale, and we are glad you found us today. We've got a great episode lined up with Graham Foreman. He is the founder and managing director at Edivate Capital. Graham, how are you doing today? I'm great. Uh, Thanks for having me on the show, JW. Absolutely. We are going to have a fun conversation today around the state of EdTech VC. Uh, We're going to talk about, uh, you know, the increase in investments in 2020 and really uh, get into the details of uh, the type of funding that's out there and maybe the type of funding that we need out there. uh, And it may not line up to be the same thing. uh, Graham, before we begin... If you could just give our audience a little background on yourself and on Edivate Capital, and then we'll jump into some questions. Yeah, I'll give you the, the super high level on my background. So um, my background, there have been three themes. They've been education, entrepreneurship, and investing. And it's happened across uh, three phases as well uh, of my career. So the first phase was actually education policy. So Right out of college, I worked in the U.S. Senate uh, for a senator who was a leader on education and labor issues, and I staffed him on on ed policy for a time. He retired. I I moved to the other coast and worked for a community college president who ran and won a seat in the assembly, became chair of the education committee, and I worked for him for a number of years. So first phase was policy uh, around education. Second phase was as a startup operator. I did three businesses all SaaS businesses serving schools and districts. And I was the growth guy. So I led sales, marketing, business development, customer success, and a couple of them scaled uh, nicely. And uh, from that, I um, was able to start uh, angel investing and really dabbled as an investor for a number of years. But toward the end of the the third business, I started my microfund, Edivate, uh, with a simple idea. Why not invest and advise lots of seed stage uh, entrepreneurs in education? So that's that's what I'm doing today. We, we, we sold that third business uh, to uh, private equity about seven years ago, and that's where I made my, my leap to doing this full time. And today I back seed stage uh, impact-focused uh, K-12 entrepreneurs that are serving schools and districts uh, all across the country. That's great. And then let's just jump in with the big question. What is the state of ed tech uh, right now? Well, I think, you know, right now, I think we're, we're, we're certainly seeing a moment uh, for, for ed tech. Um, uh, over, over a number of years, we've seen an acceleration in digital adoption in schools and districts uh, across the country. But the pandemic forced you know all of us uh, I'm talking about k-12 specifically uh, to go to remote and virtual learning virtually overnight you've got 50 million plus students and millions of teachers that that go to remote or, or virtual environment and that moment uh, really pulled demand forward uh, I would say by as much as five years uh, for the types of, of technologies uh, that are in use in schools today and so, um, you know, this is this has created uh, tremendous interest around in, investing in the space, um, and we see a, an increased level of of uh, venture activity really across uh, all forms of education, from early childhood to K twelve to 
higher ed to um, uh, adult learning as well. I would say um, another interesting uh, development, um, specifically in K-12, has been an increase in involvement for parents in their their child's learning. Um, we have parents now who, who continue to work from home while they're sitting next to their child who's on a computer learning from home. So they've, they've gotten a much closer look at the types of education uh, their kids are getting. And in many cases, they're leaning in much more than they, they were before. And that's created uh, more demand around um, uh, consumer-oriented uh, solutions, so solutions that parents can buy. One one good example is a company called OutSchool, uh, which provides a whole host of, of um, instructor-led uh, courses online uh, that parents and students can sign up for, and uh, demand for their service has has just exploded here in in recent months. Um, so that, that's one example on the consumer side. I would say on the on the the side of of um, schools and districts, um, there is increased investment interest, but uh, some challenges uh, around that, uh, given the nature of selling to schools and districts. <laughs> it's not easy, not easy to do. It's never been easy to do. They're they're longer slower sales cycles generally, uh, school district budgets are fairly finite um, and likely to be impacted, um, like, likely to decrease here in the next 12 to 24 months. And so I, that just presents some challenges if you're, I think, a venture investor in, in K-12 selling to schools and districts. And that leads me right into my next question. You know, traditional VC, Maybe right for some ed tech companies, but but maybe not for a lot of them. What are the alternatives out there, and what are kind of the pros and cons? Yeah, well, I think I think the nature of venture is that it's a pretty niche business. I mean, venture investors are really looking for home runs, um, so companies that that are really explosive growers, and they they need to do that because the limited partners from which they raise money, you know, they're they're looking to return you know, three times or more the money that those investors have invested. So it's it's actually very rational what they do, but very niche. Um, you know, the funds in our space, and I have tremendous respect for uh, folks that have raised venture funds in our space. You know, the, the, as, as the fund gets bigger, you actually need to invest in bigger and bigger companies in order to return um, your money to limited partners. Um, and, and that means you've got to take bets on companies that are going to make outsized returns, right? They're going to return 10x or more in five to seven years. And that's why venture investors often invest in companies that are going to be, you know, billion dollar plus companies. For me, I have a very small fund, so I'm I'm successful with with you know 100 million dollar exits, even even smaller. And so in K-12, you know, we, we have a very finite market. We have 14,000 school districts and about 120,000 uh, schools. And it's one that's notoriously slow to, to change. So the schools just tend to not innovate super quickly. So, and these changes, by the way, when they do change, they take longer uh, to take place. You, you don't see dramatic changes typically. You can, pandemic aside, <laughs> typically you don't see dramatic changes 
that that uh, take place in five years. It can take several decades uh, to see the type of transformational change in in uh, traditional schools and districts. And these timelines, you know, they don't they don't suit VCs when you're trying to you know, return 10x your money in, in five to seven years, that doesn't align with those longer time frames. And so, so what we're thinking about more and more is, are there alternative ways to, to fund um, these companies besides VCs? Right now, I think there are really two paths for most entrepreneurs. Number one is to really bootstrap and to, to self-fund. And there are a lot of entrepreneurs who do an outstanding job of, of doing that. And then the other path um, is really to, to raise a venture round and, and, and try to grow more quickly and, and meet the expectations of, of those venture investors. What we're trying to figure out is, is there a, a middle path where a really solid growing companies, and I'm, I'm talking about, I have some of these companies in my portfolio that, um, you know, are growing 30, 40, 50, 60% year over year. They're, they're high recurring revenue businesses. They're, they're impact focused businesses solving problems in K-12. They don't meet the venture profile, but with additional capital, they could continue to grow and could, could scale their impact. So, so some, of these, some of these are alternative structures. We can get into those if, if you'd like to talk a little bit about how we're thinking about the different ways to fund it. But, but I, I really do think our observation is that there's a, a real segment of the market that's just not right for VC, is looking for um, uh, impact over time, and it takes time in K-12, and there's just not enough aligned patient capital, sort of call it patient capital, uh, that's available to them in the marketplace to, to fund their businesses. Yeah, and I want to get more into to kind of that middle ground and, and some ideas you have. But first, you've, you've mentioned a few times uh, the impact, the social impact. Talk to us a little bit about that. That doesn't necessarily mean nonprofit. Um, for our audience that may not be familiar, what would be some examples of uh, social impact companies? Yeah, I, there are a lot of them uh, in our space. Oh, and when I'm talking about impact, um, what I'm referring to is uh, solutions that uh, in many cases, served uh, under-resourced uh, problems in education, or they service uh, underserved populations uh, in education. And what they're doing is they're driving, you know, meaningful outcomes for students, teachers, and administrators. So I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples uh, from from my portfolio, well, one of the new investments that we made is in a company called uh, Everyday Labs, and Everyday Labs uh, uses behavioral science to help uh, improve uh, chronic absenteeism rates in schools and districts. So uh, they help uh, school and district leaders get in touch with students that are missing you know, 10 or more days of school and try to engage those students and their parents through uh, 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 a traditional mail, actually is a very effective way to, to reach them, uh, through text messaging, uh, through these, these means that really try to get those students and their parents uh, more engaged in, in getting that child to, to class. This has become a bigger problem, as you can imagine, as uh, students and parents don't have uh, direct access to school buildings. Uh, they're learning remotely. And so we're, 
we're seeing a, a, an epidemic of uh, students that are not engaged in, in virtual learning. It was a problem before the pandemic with kids not showing up to school, but it's, it's become a bigger problem as students are not engaging with remote and virtual learning. And so all the research shows that um, you, you need to be in school in order to learn how to read and write, right? If you're, if you're not actually attending class and engaged in class, then those learning outcomes aren't gonna be there. So it's, it's foundational to a positive student outcome is that um, students are attending and engaged in class. So, so that's, that's one example. Uh, another example is a company called Swing Education, uh, which helps school districts uh, recruit, uh, identify, and place substitute teachers. Uh, across the country, uh, we have a teacher shortage, um, and that teacher shortage is most acute in uh, markets where you tend to have high incomes, uh, high housing costs, uh, so you know your, your major metropolitan areas. Um, and what SWING does is it, it helps build a, a base of substitute teachers uh, for schools and districts and then place those substitute teachers on demand into the schools in their network. So uh, many schools um, have struggled to find special ed teachers, math teachers, science teachers, especially in, in those roles. And SWING uh, can place a certified uh, uh, sub into those classrooms of the day of when those when those schools need a substitute and you know again research shows that you know having um, uh, an effective teacher in the classroom uh, is critical for driving learning outcomes and and swing is is really helping schools uh, find those uh, uh, qualified substitute teachers in, in the moments that they need them most. I love those examples because oftentimes when we think of ed tech, we think of curriculum, we think of ebooks, we think of uh, increasing test scores, but there's so much more that goes into a, a holistic approach to student learning. Um, you know, that's that's just really great, especially I'm sure you're seeing a lot with social emotional uh, programming and, and things like that to just lay that foundation for learning before we can get into the curriculum and, and that type of thing. Absolutely. And in fact, that's that's one of the areas that we'd, we'd love to make an investment is in social emotional learning is, is we've looked at the survey data and the, the research from superintendents and other school leaders across the country. There are a couple of things during the pandemic that are really jumping out in terms of needs. And number one is uh, social emotional learning needs uh, for students. You know, this this pandemic has wrought havoc on families all across the country. And there are more kids that are suffering from trauma or from mental health stresses uh, than prior to the pandemic. And having uh, a really good social emotional learning content uh, and supports uh, for those students are more needed than, than ever. Um, another area that comes up in the survey data is around family engagement. Um, Research shows that uh, parents and caregivers who are involved and interested in uh, their kids' education, you know, that, that tends to support good outcomes for those kids. And the pandemic has just made it harder. As, as we all know, it's harder for us to interact. <laughs> you know, interacting over a virtual environment is just not the, not the same experience as 
as being able to meet face to face. So, um, you know, that that type of engagement, engaging families, engaging those caregivers in the uh, the, the support of their kids education. You know, those are those are major needs um, that schools and districts have. Yeah. So we've seen a lot of uh, kind of paradigm shifts in 2020, given the pandemic. Um, and I know you'd mentioned earlier the, the long sales cycles and things like that. What advice would you give to those entrepreneurs that are out, out there right now that are providing solutions that really are timely and helpful right now and they need the capital to scale up quickly given the pandemic? Um, they've got to be in, in kind of a tough spot. Um, what would your advice be for those entrepreneurs? Well, I think, I think first of all, um, you know, you have to be patient, I think, with reaching uh, customers right now. It's, it's difficult. So many school leaders, teachers uh, are just overwhelmed with uh, the pandemic. Um, you know, this is clearly the most disruptive moment that we've had in the recent history of K-12 education to, to have 50 million learners millions of teachers have to go remote and virtual literally overnight in March is just has just wrought uh, an incredible level of, of change and schools and districts are still I think scrambling to um, um, you know just to become comfortable with the with the new environment so I think I think patience is 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 one key I think, Another key is is being able to offer something um, that's that's truly value a value add for their virtual or remote learning environment. Um, and I, I think um, there are many entrepreneurs uh, uh, out there that can do that. Um, I think um, the the challenge can become how do you how do you just connect uh, with uh, teachers and school leaders now in this environment. Uh, there's there's no easy way to do that. I think one of the the best ways to do that is actually through those trusted relationships that you have with with current customers and those referrals that you can get to uh, prospective customers. Um, that's one of the most effective ways uh, to reach them. If you are um, uh, uh, selling to schools and districts now, uh, I, I would certainly think about extending your your runway as much as you can. Um, I think school district budgets are, by by most forecasts, they're going to. It's a lagging effect. Uh, what's happened in the economy? Uh, it takes some time for that to trickle down to the state taxes, the local taxes that fund that do not have ninety percent of the school and district funding or state and local taxes. I expect we'll see more of those impacts in the next school year cycle and the cycle after that. And so those budgets will be under great pressure. Um, I think that's the reason to try to extend your runway is I, I think it's going to be it's going to be tougher to access those budgets in the next couple of years. Um, I mean, if, if you're trying to raise money, I mean, nothing convinces an investor more to give you money than showing you know, demonstrating that your customers absolutely love your product. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the first thing for any any early stage entrepreneur, I think, to figure out is is not just product market fit, but how how do we get the customers to the point where they really love the product and they're willing to to share that out, right, and to tell others about that. 
Um, that's that's a first thing an investor uh, will look for. I think the, the the next thing the next thing really would be traction, right? That there's that there's real evidence that customers are not only using the product, but they're also paying you know a meaningful amount uh, for the product. Um, I think if you can accomplish those two things, uh, I think you're in a good position to have fundraising conversations with uh, a variety of different investors. Absolutely. So we'll put you to the test here. Would you rather have a company with, let's say, uh, 50 active, engaged uh, customers or uh, a thousand, you know, just kind of average paying customers? Yeah, I, I think I definitely take the former at this stage. Um, I think that love for the product uh, is so important. Um, there's so many choices now when it comes to uh, you're a, you're a student, you're a teacher, you're an administrator. There are fifteen thousand edtech products out there. Um, the way to stand out is is a product and a service that they that they love. Um, you know, if you've got 50 just evangelizing customers that that love your product, are willing to to share it out via social media, tell others about it, um, that's a marketing and growth engine um, that's going to pay dividends down the road. If you've got a thousand customers that are that are kind of lukewarm about it, I mean, that's that's great that you've got a thousand customers, but I'd be concerned. Um, that they might have other options. They might find another product that they that they really love, and over time, you know, they're going to migrate to to that other to that other product over time that they really love. So, so how do you how do you figure out how to get to the point where, you know, the product is really a must-have? They they love it so much that they can't live without it. That's the work that I'd focus on. Absolutely, yeah, and and typically the budget issue always comes up uh, when you're selling to schools and school districts. But when they really believe in something and want something, then magically they always find the budget. They cut something else, or or they they make it happen. Um, is that your experience as well? They try very hard. I can't say they they are always are able to do that, but. But school districts are um, they're they're wonderful loyal customers when you when you serve them well, um, and I think that's one of the real benefits about being an entrepreneur in this space is is just how loyal they can be. I, th I think what's interesting about education and uh, might be different from some other um, uh, industries is is that there's. Uh, there's more of a collaborative approach in the space. Um, there's a, a desire generally to do good for the public. And so when an educator or an administrator finds something that they, that they love, they want to keep not only keep using it, but they also want to share it uh, with other colleagues um, in the space that they think could benefit. It's, um, it's, it's more of a cooperative uh, environment than a competitive environment that you would find in so many other spaces. So, you know, as, as budgets get cut deeper and deeper, you know, it's more and more important that your product is a, is a must have. And uh, I fear with this next budget cycle or two, there are going to be some deep cuts in many districts, in many states around the country. And um, entrepreneurs need, need to be prepared for that. And the best way to prepare for that is, is, a, is a product that's, that's truly a must have for 
you know, the stakeholders within the school or district that are using it. Absolutely. At market scale, we say that uh, the product needs to be remarkable to literally where someone will remark to others uh, how amazing the product is. Um, I love that. Yeah, I think uh, this also kind of lends to, you know, 2020 has seen the ed tech community, the education community come together like never before. It's always been a very uh, helping community, but really by necessity, everyone has come together. And earlier you mentioned, uh, you know, that there are so many companies out there um, that I think we're seeing a lot more diversity uh, in the companies, in the innovative products. Um, are we also seeing more diversity in the entrepreneurs and the founders in uh, the the teams that are trying to address all of these problems? Well, we are um, seeing more diversity in terms of uh, founders, uh, in terms of the profiles of, of folks that are, are solving problems. But I, I think there's a lot more that, that we can do. And I think this is one of the one of the shortcomings of venture is, you know, as, as venture investors, you know, we, we may invest in, in, you know, just 1% or so of all of the founders uh, that are out there. And, and disproportionately, I think those founders, you know, they, they tend to come from, from top schools. Uh, disproportionately, they tend to be uh, white. They tend to be white males. Education's different. I think there's, there's more gender diversity in investing. So many incredibly talented founders are teachers, and so many teachers are uh, female. Uh, so we just naturally have more, more diversity there. But I think there are opportunities for us, and this goes back to uh, patient capital and alternative capital. I think there's opportunities to invest really beyond that 1% uh, into you know, another group of founders um, that uh, are, are more diverse, uh, that are solving um, under-resourced uh, problems uh, representing under underserved populations. Um, give you give you an example. Um, you know, one of the fastest growing segments of our industry are English language learners. As our population has changed, there's been an, an explosion in uh, uh, needs to support those those English language learners. But those English language learners today are only ten or eleven percent of the student population. So, so if you're a venture investor and, and you're investing in K-12, it's already a finite market. You know, we just we have the 14,000 school districts that you're investing in. The idea then of investing in a solution that only addresses 10 or 11 percent of that population, you now are in very much a niche market. So my my thesis is they're very good entrepreneurs selling uh, solutions for those niche niche markets that just simply their scale is not going to be great enough to attract a, a venture investor. And it's going to take them more time to build um, a business. And by the way, if, if they're really dedicated to impact, it's going to take more time for them to, to change the system. It might take a couple of decades. So, you know, alternative capital structures that, that support those entrepreneurs over longer periods of time and in more flexible ways, I think are really needed. And I think by, by having those, I think we'll, we'll be able to open up investment that makes both 
um, sense from an impact side, but also from a, a financial and economic side to, to invest in more underrepresented founders over time. So that, that's what we're working on enabling is, is um, more of that type of investment, more pa patient capital into the space. That's great. And that really goes along with um, a blog post that you uh, put up called The Case for a Different Kind of Capital in EdTech, which we've linked in our blog post for this podcast. And something that really jumped out to me, if you could kind of dive into it for a minute or two, would be uh, kind of the, the problem with chasing unicorns and maybe explain what a unicorn is for our audience, even though most probably know. Um, and and the difference between a unicorn and, and a camel, as you put it, um, and the p potential desert that we're entering. Um, I think our audience would really enjoy kind of that comparison. Yeah, well, great. So, so a unicorn in in our um, industry is is a company that achieves a billion dollar plus uh, valuation, and there are really very few of those within K twelve B two B, and and the the reasons are. You know things that we've addressed. Um, you know the the they're just fourteen thousand school districts. Uh, they they have um, relatively fixed and predictable annual budgets, uh, which which doesn't enable a tremendous amount of growth. And um, you know change takes longer in our space. Sales cycles are longer. It's it's harder to sell to schools and districts uh, than than other customers. And so what that that's 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 led to is we've we've had a real shortage of of unicorns uh, within our space. In fact, um, from my market scan, um, uh, that there's there, this year we've had uh, Quizlet. Uh, is the one that we've seen in specifically that's focused on selling to schools and districts in K-12. There are lots of ed tech unicorns and that's growing, but they're in other parts of the market, right? They're international or their workforce development or higher ed. What's interesting about Quizlet is um, the founder uh, thinks of them more as a camel <laughs> and not as, as a unicorn. Um, and uh, camels are companies that are, uh, as they sound, right? They're they're tough and sturdy. They need less capital. They're aligned with the markets that they serve for the for the long haul. Um, and what's unique about Quizlet is uh, to achieve that valuation, they they raised a relatively small amount of money. I think they've raised you know 60 million or so, which for for most unicorns is a is a very small amount of money. And I think the, the point about uh, camels is is a really important one because, you know, the 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 the, the pandemic I think has has wrought uh, uh, economic uh, uncertainty that we haven't fully realized the impacts of that, but by all estimations we're entering a, a prolonged period of budget cuts for K twelve schools and districts. Right now, maybe we get a. A heroes act with the new administration, the new Congress that alleviates some of that, you know, budget impact for K twelve schools and districts. But I think there's there's still going to be a gap, and you know that budget gap uh, really means that there's just less money available to uh, entrepreneurs that are uh, operating in the space. So. You know, for those entrepreneurs, you know, it, it, it's going to be a bit like traveling through the desert. And, you know, in order for them to survive, they're going to need to be 
you know, tough, resilient, like a camel, they're going to need to be capital efficient, meaning, you know, they're able to, to take in a little bit of money and, and produce a good return on investment um, on that uh, capital that they've deployed. And I, I, my, my feeling is, you know, they're going to be, there's going to be attrition in our industry through this next set of, of this budget cycle. There are a lot of startups, budgets are going to get leaner with schools and districts. And I think that's going to mean some companies are not going to survive. But, but camels that have really good sound unit economics, they're much better prepared to go through the desert than, you know, uh, than entrepreneurs that um, uh, aren't, aren't nearly as efficient. And I think you, you see with schools and school districts, they're falling into one of two camps. They're kind of just still in survival mode or they've, they're starting to look for opportunities to make systemic changes that maybe were three to five years away. And they're saying, you know what, this is a terrible situation, but we're going to make the best of it. We're going to innovate and push forward. Are you seeing that same kind of two camp system uh, with a lot of the ed tech startups? Where they're thinking about just surviving, but they're also thinking three to five years out? Well, if they're thinking about just surviving or if they're really looking at this as an opportunity to innovate their offerings to a, a very quickly changing market in 2020? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of entrepreneurs that are that are thinking about um, how do they adapt to uh, not only the, the new environment that we find ourselves in, you know, where we're, we're learning remotely and, and virtually, but, but also trying to figure out what does the future of K-12 look like? Um, and that, I think, is a, is a really interesting question, right? What, what do schools and districts look like three to, to five years from now? I, I certainly, I think the answer to that is a lot different than it would have been prior to the pandemic. Um, because of all the, 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 the disruption that's taken place with schools and districts. Um, but I don't, I don't have a, you know, I, I don't have a crystal ball. Certainly I'm not exactly sure what um, is going to take hold um, uh, that's new uh, as, as a result of, of going remote and virtual and what's going to be left behind and schools aren't going to adopt. I, I do think it does make some sense where there's a, there's a process improvement for a school and district, um, you know, that's, that's, that's happened because of, uh, this moment, this, this, this crisis, I think those, those improvements are likely to stick, right? We've got a better system. We've got a better process. We've got a better way of, of doing things. Um, and I think, you know, where, where that's absent, where that, that process has been more difficult, more cumbersome, um, I think those changes are not likely to, to stick. So, so, so I think, I think entrepreneurs should be thinking about that. Um, and I think they should be, um, uh, anticipating, uh, a new environment in schools and districts three to five years from now. But, but I, I certainly don't, I certainly don't envy the challenge of figuring out exactly what that looks like. Um, Simply because I, I think it's it's so hard to to know you know where are we going to come out of this while we're while we're still in the middle of it right well we're still just in many cases sort of scrambling to make virtual and and remote learning uh, work uh, for for students and districts. 
Absolutely. And I usually pause at some point and often in podcasts to thank our district administrators, our school administrators, and our teachers for the amazing efforts uh, that they've put into 2020 to to make this thing work. But I want to include the entrepreneurs in there, too. Uh, You're in a very tough position. And uh, the work you're doing, especially, that's going to have that impact on our students. Uh, keep, Keep it up. Stay with it. Um, maybe to end here, you could give us a half glass full uh, perspective and maybe share a, a, a story of success here in 2020. Well, I'll, I'll share an entrepreneur uh, success story if, if that's okay. Um, so I, I was a, a fortunate enough to, to be an investor in uh, a company uh, based out of Iowa City uh, called Pear Deck. And uh, Pear Deck is uh, a student engagement uh, platform. Uh, for students and teachers. They, they essentially have built a platform uh, on top of Google Slides and on top of Microsoft PowerPoint that helps a teacher go from, a, would say, a more passive presentation or a lecture style to a much more interactive and engaging experience for students. So students can use the the software with a device, each student has a device, and they can answer polling questions, they can answer multiple choice questions, they can answer open-ended questions in real time as the teacher is presenting. And the teacher then gets immediate uh, formative data back on what are students getting? Are they engaging? What's What are the gaps? What, what do students uh, need help with. And all of this is is creating this much more interactive and engaging experience. So so in five in five short years, uh, the team has grown now to serve one out of three uh, schools and districts uh, across the country, um, which is which is a remarkable story uh, to, to be able to do that that quickly. Um, they've they've uh, had explosive growth. Uh, during the pandemic, as as uh, schools and districts uh, went to, to one-to-one devices, here's a, here's the stat for you. Uh, prior to COVID, only about 60%, a little under 60% of students in K-12 schools and districts had a device. Today, that number is 95% of students now have a device. Um, 99% of uh, schools and districts now have broadband access. And in 2013, only 5% of schools and districts had broadband access. So you put those two things together, the dramatic change in broadband and the dramatic increase in access to devices. There's still gaps there. We still have more students that need devices, but there's been so much improvement there. Those digital tracks have been laid for companies like Pear Deck that enable much richer uh, digital learning experiences. And the team has been um, tremendously resourceful. They raised a relatively small amount of capital, and now they've grown to, to serve more than a third of uh, schools here in the U.S. They Just last week, uh, they merged uh, with another company called uh, GoGuardian, uh, which provides um, uh, student engagement and security software for K-12 schools and districts. And uh, was a wonderful success for the entrepreneurs, wonderful success for, for investors like me. Uh, I think it just points to the idea that you can build a high impact uh, company at scale in K-12 with relatively little capital. Um, and maybe not everybody can do it as quickly as Pear Deck can, 
but but I'm just super proud of the work that they've done and excited to see where this new merged entity uh, goes in terms of um, delivering uh, safer and more engaging uh, learning uh, experiences uh, for students and teaching experiences uh, for educators as well. Absolutely. That's that's great. And it's funny, if you think back, I think it was 2012, there were a lot of initiatives and uh, predictions by 2020, every student would have a device. We'd hit that 100%. And we certainly were not on pace for that at the beginning of 2019. Um, and to see those gaps close as much as they have in this uh, digital divide uh, has, has been another silver lining. And uh, we're not there yet, but uh, hopefully we continue to push here uh, at the end of this year and into the spring. Uh, so that we can reach that uh, that equity that we need so much so badly in uh, k-12 education we are out of time but that was a, a great discussion and I've got more questions so we're gonna have to have you back on uh, in uh, the spring to kind of get a uh, a new state of uh, the industry and uh, and talk more uh, about uh, you know these alternative funding sources as uh, you can continue to develop them out and, uh, and keep the conversation going. Graham, thank you so much for joining us today. It was fun, JW. Thanks so much for, for having, having me on the show, and I really appreciate what you're doing here. Uh, thank you, and, and thank you so much to our audience for listening uh, every week, twice a week. Uh, we really appreciate you as well. Uh, again, we've got an upcoming episode where we're going to take your thoughts and responses and, uh, and put those together, which is going to be fun, and uh, certainly check out past episodes as well. We've got quite a library now. Uh, thank you again and always keep learning.